Good singing, huh? How'd you like the drum? It's pretty good, right? Well, you did a good job on that. I'll say a great job. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you ask your average postmodern relativist, and I presume you guys know what that is, what he's certain about, what he's positive of, what he's confident about, it'll be a short discussion. Uh, you, know, you know that relativism uh, is pervasive in uh, the culture and in the world at large. If you ask him, well, how did you come to be? What are your origins? If you ask him, if you ask him why does he exist? What is his purpose? If you ask him, does God exist? Does evil exist? Does sin exist? Does absolute truth exist at all? Is there life after death? Is there a heaven and hell? You ask your average man on the street, and uh, the response will be short. Um, so many people are not very sure about very much anymore. Of course, uh, the fallen world is full of uncertainties. There are uncertainties at every turn. This is why insurance companies own most of the money in the world. Because they exploit our, our uh, fears of the unknown and risks and uncertainties. You, you buy a car, but you might have a wreck. You better get insurance. You buy a home. Could be a fire. You better get insurance. You might lose your job. You better get disability coverage. Uh, or unemployment insurance. You might be disabled. You, you might need disability coverage. It goes on and on and on. The insurance companies exploit our, our fear of uncertainty and our fear of unknown. The one thing that your average man on the street today knows for sure is that he can't be sure about anything. What is the average response when you ask a man or a woman? What can you be sure of? What's the joke these days? Death and taxes. The only thing that your average man or woman will say, I can be sure of death and taxes. What a shabby way to live. What a shabby way to live that all they can be sure of is death and taxes. Even major world religions give very little comfort of assurance. Ask the Muslim, the Buddhist, the Hindu. They don't really know what's going to happen to them in the afterlife. Ask them. They don't know. They don't know. Pseudo-Christianity falls into that same category. If you ask uh, many Catholics, they'll tell you they don't know whether they're going to go to heaven or hell. There are even Protestant denominations who preach uncertainty. They'll tell you that you can have salvation, oops, and then lose it. So even in religious circles, there's not much to be certain about. But you know what I'm getting to, don't you, brothers and sisters? It's not like that for us. It's not like that for the true Christian. It's not like that for the Christian that actually believes his Bible and believes the Word of God. Jesus defined the essence of true Christianity. John 17, 3, For this is eternal life that they may, what? Know you. We know Him. And because we know Him, every uncertainty is small. Every uncertainty pales in comparison to our almighty, omnipotent God. Knowing Him is enough. Knowing Him is all we need. And of course, we as Christians, we suffer from uncertainty as well. Just like the rest of the world. We suffer from these things. 
But because we know Him, He's the difference and He makes all the difference. We don't have to wring our hands as we say so often in here. Because our God is sovereign. Our God is supreme. He does work all things after the counsel of His will. So ultimately, every uncertainty that you and I face, it's swallowed up in the character of God. Amen? It's swallowed up in the character of God. It doesn't matter what comes into our life in a temporal sense. All we have to do is what? Look at our Father. That's all we have to do. He's enough. He's enough. This book, this book is about knowing. That's what this book's about. It's about knowing. You know how many times the word know appears in this book? <laughs> 1,139 times the word know appears in the Scriptures. It actually it appears 39 times in, in the letter of 1 John that we've been studying these last few months. This book is about knowing. So I just wanted to take a few minutes and I want you to, to follow along with me in your mind and in your heart and you probably have many, many more you could add, no doubt. But I'm just going to talk just a minute about all the things we know. We're not like the postmodern. We're not a, rel a relativist. We know. We know God. He's there. And He's awesome. Amen? He's there. And He's beautiful. We know, that we know where we came from. We were made by Jesus Christ and what? for Jesus Christ. We know that our purpose is to find our deepest joy and satisfaction in Him and in Him alone. doesn't mean we don't have subordinate joys and pleasures, but preeminently He's our joy. He's our satisfaction. He's our greatest desire in this life. We know why the world is so violent and brutal and it's full of calamity and disease and deformity and pain. We know why this is true. We don't scratch our heads about this. We understand why this is true. Men have rebelled against this good and benevolent Creator. We have rebelled against this beautiful God. And we have surrendered dominion of this earth to who? The evil one. So we understand what the Scripture says. We know why the world is in the condition that it's in. It's our fault. It's our fault. We know that I am is laying in a manger and we know why He's laying in a manger. Right? He's come to get His people. As we talked about last week, the groom has come for His bride. We know that I am is on the cross and we know why He's there. The warrior shepherd has come to redeem a people for Himself. A people to be called by His name. He's come, as I said, for His bride. He has saved us to the uttermost. He has removed our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. There is now, therefore, what? No condemnation in Christ Jesus. Friends, I hope you, I hope you know these things. I hope you know these things. I hope, you, I hope you've been studying and reading your Bible and, and hiding these words in your heart. And we know our God is inexpressibly awesome. He's inexpressibly beautiful. He's unspeakable. He's an unspeakable God. He's holy and righteous. He's good and faithful and merciful and gracious and attentive and long-suffering. He's omnipotent. He's almighty. He's sovereign. He's supreme. He's majestic and mysterious. And He's compelling. Is He not compelling? Is He not compelling? Is He not compellingly beautiful? This awesome God... 
We know there is no God like Him. There is no God beside Him. We know that He will accomplish all His good pleasure. We know that He has loved us with an everlasting love. What an awesome thing to know. He has called us by name. He is our shield, our rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our refuge, our strong tower. We know these things about our great God. And He has plans for us. What kind of plans? Plans for welfare, right? Plans for welfare. We are co-heirs with Christ. Nothing can separate us from the love of God as Adam prayed a few minutes ago. He causes all things to work together for good. These are some of the things that we know. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We know too He's preparing a place for us and He's going to come back for us. We know that our inheritance is in Him is beyond imagination. We know that we will spend eternity with Him and it will be glorious. No eye has seen nor ear heard all that God has prepared for His children. All that God has prepared. And as John 17 says, somehow we are mysteriously caught up into the glory that is the Godhead. You've got to go to John 17 and just worship the Lord. Just worship the Lord. I could talk about Him and all the things He's told us till I fall over. Time would fail me. But beloved, we aren't like the world. We aren't like the false religions. And we aren't like dead Christianity. We know our God. We know Him. We know Him. And He makes all the difference in every uncertainty. We know Him. He's breathtakingly beautiful. And He is our all-sufficient answer in every trial. Every moment of every day, every nanosecond, He is our all-sufficient, our all-sufficient supply. I've said it so, so many times to you guys. Our Father is Jehovah Jireh. What does that mean? Someone tell me. Pardon me? What, is it, what does it mean, Jehovah Jireh? God provides. There's another translation of the Hebrew there that, that I like, that I like uh, best, actually. It is that God will see to it. Let me ask you, friend. Do you believe that your God will see to it? When the uncertainty comes, do you believe that your God will see to it? Do you believe He's Jehovah Jireh? Anybody believe it? Yeah. Alright! we got some, we got some people believing it in here. He is Jehovah Jireh. He will see to it. Let me say this to you, friends, and I want you to hear me. God expects you to be certain about Him. God expects us to be certain that we are His. And then guess what? We talked about it last week. Then God expects you to live like it. Right? No small Christianity. No lukewarm Christianity. We're going to live it big because our God is big. Amen? Our God is big. Our Lord will see to it in large measure. This is what 1 John is all about. It is the book of assurance. But implicit in this assurance is that we can rely on Him in every uncertainty. We can rely on this beautiful God. God says, I want you to know your mind and then I want you to live like your mind. This is why God is giving us assurance in 1 John. I want you to know your mind and then I want you to go out in the world and live like your mind. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you living like you're His? Is there anything you need to change in your life right now that you might live 
more like Lord, the Lord Jesus lived when He walked the earth. This evening I want to just park on John 5.13 and we're just going to sum up the whole book, okay? Just very briefly, we're going to sum up the whole book. You heard me read the text. I hope you have your Bible open. John 5.13 These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know that you have eternal life. So what are these things? There are two points I want to cover tonight. What are these things He's talking about? What are these things He's written uh, to give us assurance that we belong to the living God? What are these things? And then the second point I want to make is what are we supposed to do with this knowing? Are we supposed to do something with this knowing? The fact that we know we're His, are we supposed to do something with that or are we just supposed to sit in the pew with that? Or does He expect us to actually do something with this knowing? As I've said to you many, many times, 1 John is the book of assurance. It's a mirror. We're supposed to look into 1 John and we're supposed to see our reflection coming back at us. If we're, if we're a true Christian, we're supposed to be able to look into 1 John and see our reflection coming back. That's what 1 John is. 1 John is simply the book of assurance in the Bible. So, what did God teach us in 1 John? How do we know we truly belong to Christ? There are three simple things you can always remember this book by. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to go to seminary. How can we know we belong to Jesus Christ? Three simple things. We believe the testimony of the Bible about the Son. We believe it. I'm not talking about mental assent. I'm talking about believing it in a way that changes every day of your life. We believe it. What's the second thing? The true Christian obeys Jesus. The true Christian obeys Jesus. And the third thing, the true Christian loves. The true Christian loves God and the true Christian loves the body. Loves the brethren. These are the three hallmarks in 1 John. These are the three hallmarks of true conversion. It's what the book is about. It's what the book is about. You know, many in the church today, uh, many in the church today, uh, they trust simply in mental assent. They trust in the fact that they prayed a prayer properly. They trust in the fact that they did an ordinance when they were young. Or they did sacraments. They trust in these things. They, they trust in the fact that they belong to a church or they, they merely attend church or they do religious things. Let me ask you, friend. I want you to read 1 John. How many, of th how many of those things do you see God writing in 1 John? You're not going to see any of them. God doesn't mention any of those things. God says, my people, they believe, they obey, and they love. That's how you know. And friends, don't trust in something you did when you were eight. Don't trust in an ordinance. Don't trust in praying a prayer. Don't trust in your church membership. This is what you're supposed to trust in, the Word of God. And God says, my kids, they believe, they obey, and they love. There's your Christianity. There it is. That's it. That's it. And as we go through these, these uh, I'm going to hit some of the high points in 1 John. As we go through these, I'm going to invite you to do what Paul invited the Corinthians to do. And that's to examine yourself. 
You know, Paul told the Corinthians, he said, examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. Brothers and sisters, this is the most, one of the most loving things I can do for you as your pastor is on occasion is to challenge you and say, examine your profession. I don't want you to examine your church membership. I want you to examine your Christianity. Does it hold up under what God says? Do you really love Him? Do you really believe Him? Do you really obey Him? Do you really love the body? This is what God says Christianity is. First point, do we believe? John opens the, the very first verse of the book. John says concerning the word of life and then he proceeds. And I'm just going to rapidly hit some verses. You're not going to be able to follow me, okay? He says, uh, the real believer, we confess the Son. We believe in the Son. We confess Jesus has come in the flesh. John writes, whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God. God abides in that man. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. True Christians really believe, as I said before, not in some dead, perfunctory, religious way. We believe in a way that changes every single day of our life. Behold, all things are new kind of way, right? The old things have passed away. All things are a new kind of way. God says, I want you to know that. I want you to know that. This is what He's telling us. He's telling His children, I want you to know that my children believe everything I say about my Son. And they live like it's true. <laughs> they live like it's true. <coughs> they live like it's true. Secondly, the authentic Christian loves to obey. And I've made this point to you repeatedly, and it's always important when you're studying 1 John. We're not talking about perfection. John is not teaching perfection. None of us are going to obey Christ perfectly. That's not going to happen in this life. In fact, we know in chapter 2, he tells us, if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord, and He is faithful and uh, righteous to forgive us as we come in confession. We never achieve perfection in this life, but it is our heart's desire to love Him in our obedience. Friends, you know, if you want to really worship the Lord, come and worship the Lord right here. But listen, you go out in the world and you worship the Lord by living by His Word. You be the salt. You be the light. That's what we're called to be. Listen to what John says. Just a couple of verses in, uh, throughout the book. He says the true believer practices the truth. He walks in the light. He keeps the commandments of God. He keeps the Word of God. He abides in God. He practices righteousness. Uh, he does not practice sin. He observes God's commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And you remember that great line in the sand verse over in chapter 3, verse 10. God says, By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is what? He's not of God. He's not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. John 15, John 14, 15, Jesus laid it out for us very clearly. If you love me, what did he say? You'll be, you'll be religious and go to church and do the sacraments. Is that what he said? He says, if you love me, what? You'll keep my commandments. You'll keep my commandments. That's what real Christians do. 
The caveat is we know we can't, we can't achieve perfection. We know this. And so we come to our Advocate. And we confess our sin. He's faithful and just. Forgive us. Praise God for grace. Who in here doesn't need grace? Who in here needs lots of grace? Praise God for grace. We don't become perfect. But it is our heart's desire to obey our Lord because we love Him. This is not a religious obligation. This is, this is something we do in love to our beautiful Lord. Thirdly, the genuine Christian loves and serves the body of Christ. And I've got a lot of verses here, so just hang with me. This is preeminently what this book is about. Listen to this. The one who loves his brother abides in the light. We should love one another. We know we've passed out of death and into life because what? We love the brethren. We love one another as Jesus has commanded. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. We ought to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us. The one who abides in love abides in God. The one who says, I love God but hates his brother is a liar. Did you get the message? What does the real Christian do? Love. He loves. It's not about going to church on Sunday. That's important. And I want you always to come to church on Sunday. I really do. It's fun to come and gather as the body of Christ. Friends, we're called to love one another. What did Jesus tell His disciples in the Gospel of John? Even as I have loved you, we are called to love one another. You remember that great and lofty call uh, that uh, the Lord calls us to in, in 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that He laid down His life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. So let me ask you, living in Western Europe, uh, I don't think any of us are going to be martyred this week, but how do we love like that? How do we lay our life down? We covered this a month or so ago. How do we lay our life down? By loving the brethren. Sacrificially. We, we, we lay our lives down in love and in service to the body of Christ. That's how we lay our life down. You know, a lot of people discount that verse and say, oh, well, I'm not going to be martyred. I don't need to worry about that verse. Yes, you do. God is calling you to lay your life down for the body. To love the body and serve the body. This is what God is calling us to do. Chapter 5, God kind of turns a corner on us, but the first thing I want to point out to you, and this... this uh, this will uh, validate all that I've just said to you. Look at uh, verses 1 and 2. In verses 1 and 2 of chapter 5, God summarizes everything I just said to you. I'm just going to read it real quick. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. There it is. Believing. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. He loves the child born of God. We love the brethren. Uh, verse 2, By this we know that we have love. Uh, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and what? Observe His commandments. Verse 3, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. There's the whole book right there in three verses. God says, this is what my kids look like. They believe. They obey. And they love. That's Christianity. That's biblical Christianity. That's the summation. We believe, we obey, and we love. So, we get it. We get it. We know where He is. I'm convinced. 
We, we belong to Him. We are His. What are we supposed to do with this knowing? What are we supposed to do with it? That's what I want to spend the last few minutes talking about. I mentioned to the, the congregation last week that in John 20, 31, uh, John tells us why the Holy Spirit told him to write the Gospel of John. Does anybody remember? That we might believe and that we might have life. Okay? And then in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the verse we're looking at tonight, uh, the Holy Spirit prompts John to write why he wrote the, the book of 1 John. That we may know that we have eternal life. I love, I love the linkage here. I love the linkage here. God wants us to, to, uh, to believe and have life. God wants us to know we have life. Okay, I want, you to, I, want, I, want you, I want that to stick in your head. This is why the Holy Spirit prompted John to write both the Gospel and, the, and 1 John. That we might believe, that we might have life, and that we might know that we have life. We talked about it last week. Why does God want us to know that we have life? This is not just for you know, theological orthodoxy. And this is not just so we can have eternal security. Certainly that's part of it. But friends, He wants us to do something with that knowing. He wants us, he wants us to be fully persuaded Christians. Fully persuaded Christians. We know we're His. We know we are. Because a fully persuaded Christian will live a fully persuaded life. He wants us to know we belong to Him. Because friends, if you know you belong to Him, <laughs> you're not going to back down from anything. You're not going to back down. What did we see in, in verses 4 and 5 several weeks ago? God uses that great word, that great Greek word that you recognize as athletic apparel, logo. That great Greek word, Nike. In, in the Greek, it's Nike. What does Nike mean? Does anybody remember? God says, my kids are Nike. What does it mean? My, God's, my, my God says, my kids are overcomers. Look at verse 4 and 5 of chapter 5. My, God, my, my kids are overcomers. They get the victory. They are conquerors. They are unconquerable. This is what God says about us. Friends, all of that knowing, you're supposed to put it to work. You're supposed to know your Nikkei. And then you're supposed to go live Nikkei. There's no question that this is why God has put this in here at this point in the text. My kids are Nike, he says. My kids are overcomers. You remember, I talked about this a week or so ago, but I've got to mention it again. You know that great episode in Pilgrim's Progress when Christian and Hopeful are, are taken captive by the giant of despair and they're put in the dungeon of Doubting Castle. Do you remember this? And Doubting Castle, uh, they were in that dungeon and it was dark and the giant wouldn't feed them and he would come in daily and, and just beat them and wallop them. And a few days later, finally Christian goes, what am I thinking? I've had the key all along. What is the key called? Does anybody remember what the key is called? The promise of God. And guess what the key called the promise of God? Uh, guess how many doors it opens in Doubting Castle? Guess how many? Every single one. Friends, I, I challenged the church that night. Are you intimidated by something? Are you in doubt? Are you facing uncertainty? 
Or do you have anxiety and fear? Listen, friends, you need to take your key out called the promise of God and you need to use it. You don't need to be laying in the stinking dungeon of despair. You need to take out your key. Take out your key called the promise of God and use it. And that's what Christian and hopeful did. God wants us to know that we have eternal life, that we might live like we have eternal life. We're not going to live like the world. We're not going to be afraid. We're not going to be intimidated. We're not going to be anxious. We're going to look at God. And He's our all-sufficient supply in every circumstance. Every circumstance. Every single one of them. All this knowing and assurance and certainty, God means for us to live it. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you living it? Are you living His Word in an extravagant way? Because you're certain that He's Jehovah Jireh. Are you living like you know that He will see to it? What does verse, uh, what does verse uh, 4 of chapter 5 say in 1 John? He says, we are overcomers by what? Someone tell me from the text. How do we overcome? Because we're real religious and we go to church and my name's on a church roll. And how do we do it? By what? Our faith. That's how we do it. And this is, the, this is the lifeblood of all the Scripture. Faith. Faith. We put our faith to work. It's the heart and soul of Scripture. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it is impossible what? To please God. Let me ask you, Christian friend, are you pleasing your Father right now in the way you're living your life? Morally, ethically, in your business, with your spouse, with your kids, and what you go see is entertainment. Are you pleasing the Lord right now? Are you pleasing the Lord? Are you pleasing the Lord in living by faith right now today? Are you pleasing the Lord because you live by faith? doesn't matter how uncertain it looks. Our God's Jehovah Jireh. Amen? Our God is Jehovah Jireh. Jire, it doesn't matter how uncertain it looks. And how many times have I talked to you about the men and women of Hebrews 11? You have to love the men and women of Hebrews 11. They lived Hebrews 11.6, which says, the, 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 the end of it is, that we must not only believe that He is God, but what? Anybody remember? He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. Let me ask you, Christian friend, does your life shout, He is God and He is good? Can your friends and neighbors and family, can they read that off your life? Can your co-workers read that off your life? That my God is and my God is good. Does the world read that off your life? They're supposed to. <laughs> They're supposed to. That's the Hebrews 11.6 kind of life. Friends, do you know He's God? Do you know it? Do you know it down in, in the core of your gut? Do you know He's God? Are you living it? And down, down there in the core of your gut again, do you know He's good? Do you know it? Are you living it? Are you living it? That's what all the knowing's about. <laughs> You're supposed to be living it. And I'm supposed to be living it. 
That's what all this certainty is supposed to be about. That's what all this assurance is about. That's what all this knowing is about. Not that we might sit in here and, and just be you know, happy with ourselves and satisfied with it to go out there and to live it. To live it. I'm almost through. The word no is repeated 1,139 times in the Scripture. He wants you to know for sure that you are His. And He wants you to live like that. Extravagant lives, radical lives, God-sized lives. And one of my favorite, my somewhat kind of, a, kind of a mantra for me, to obey God with glad, reckless joy. Quote my good brother Oswald Chambers. Obey Him with glad, reckless joy. And I'm going to take one minute and I'm just going to give testimony. I don't do this very often, but I'm just going to give testimony tonight. Is it okay if I give testimony tonight? Okay. All right. I'm going to give testimony tonight. And that is that this is how God has spurred me on to obey Him at every turn. By telling me that I am your God and Jim, I am good. And when He tells me that, I can't resist. I can't resist. Because I want to obey Him when He tells me that. I can remember when I first was converted and I was a young Christian and I was a, I was a greedy little rascal. You know, I was a CPA in another life, and they were the worst, you know. And, and, uh, and I, I, remember, I remember that uh, I was miserly with God. And God was challenging me about that. He was challenging me about how I was worshiping Him and honoring Him in my finances. And He came to me and He said, Jim, I'm God and I'm good. You can trust me with this. I did. And guess what? He was good. He's been good for 30 years. When He called me to leave my job and go to seminary, I was scared to death. I was scared, as they say in the South, spitless. I was scared to death. But God came to me and He said, Jim, I'm God and I'm good. Do you believe me? He convinced me. And I, I quit my job. I went to seminary. And I, I want to tell you, I want to tell you what Karen and I will say to you many, many times about faith. It's a blast. Faith is a blast. If you go with God, it's a blast. I'm giving testimony tonight. When uh, God called Karen and I to come over here and uh, resurrect a dead church that had no membership and was no longer meeting and could not pay us a living wage, Karen and I trembled a little bit, obviously. But God said to us, I am God and I am good and you go. And He has sustained us for four and a half years. And He's filled up this room. This is what God does. And today, Karen, Karen and I are facing cancer today. But you know what we know about Him? He's God and He's good. We know He hasn't changed. And somehow, He's working good in this. And we know it. You know what she said to me today? We were standing in the kitchen. And she goes, Jim, I have cancer. But she says, I'm so happy in the Lord. I know He's with me. Friends, God wants us to live like He's good and like He's God. Let me ask you, are you? Are you?
He wants you to know that you're His, that you may live like you're His. I'm going to close with Isaiah 41.10. Isaiah 41.10. God says to His children, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely, I will help you. Surely, I will uphold you with My righteous right hand. God wants you to know this, Christian friend, that you might live this every single day from now until the day you stand before Him. Let's pray together. What a beautiful God You are. Thank You, Lord, for Your Word. Thank You that You have given us Your Word that we might believe, that we might have life, that we might know we have life, and that we might live that life. We might live at large we might live lives of faith. That our lives might shout that You not only are, but You are good. That You're, all, you're our all-sufficient supply in every uncertainty, every need, every anxiety, every fear. We are Nikkei in You. We, are, we overwhelmingly conquer in the power of Christ. We can do all things in Christ Jesus. Lord God, may we be fully persuaded Christians. And may we live fully persuaded lives. May the unbelieving world around us see that You are real and that You are good by the way we live, by the way we lay hold of the eternal life to which You've called us by the way we grab onto the, the, the key called the promise of God and use it to unlock every door of doubt and despair and uncertainty. You are Jehovah Jireh. Lord God, give us the courage to live like You're Jehovah Jireh. Like You will see to it in every circumstance. Lord God, we want to live like this. We pray that You would grant us an extra measure of faith even now. Father, we might walk like those men and women of Hebrews 11. Those men and women of whom You said, the world is not worthy. May we learn to walk like this great God. Teach us. Teach us, great God. We give all praise, glory, and honor to the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's... Uh, Let's just stand and sing our old closing chorus. That's not it. <laughs> you don't uh, this one? No, let's just sing. You guys, okay. some of you don't know ancient words. We used to, uh, we used to close with this. It's just a chorus. Uh, if you know it, please join in. If you don't, just, just enjoy it. Ancient words.
ever true, changing me and changing you. We have come with open hearts, oh, let the ancient words impart. Okay, you're fully persuaded Christians. Go out and live a fully persuaded life this week. God bless. I'm going to get to... Uh... Hey, Chan. Can you, can you do Famagosta? Can you do Famagosta? Yes, yes. You got four? Okay. Can you, you can take four? Yes. Okay. Four with you? Okay. Okay.